I um, want to continue uh, a, a thought about the um, letter that I had gotten. And um, some of the things, because if you want to learn how to be a good soul winner, you need to know how to defend your faith. And so whenever they was to bring up scripture, that seems like it says, you know, you got to earn your salvation or work for it, or it looks like you can lose it. Never forget the simple verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved. That doesn't change. Grace means it is not by your works. Grace means you did not earn it. You did not deserve to go to heaven. We all deserve to go to hell, but we did not deserve to go to heaven because of how good we are. We think we're some good people. But you've got to compare good with, well, perfection. And you have to be perfect to go to heaven. So we're not perfect. We don't go there because of our good deeds. And so you're always keeping the gospel clear. And when he says not of works, I wonder what that means. What does that mean? Not of works. Well, lo and behold, it means not of works. When he says it is the gift of God, what, what would that mean? It's the gift of God. See there how simple the Bible is? But there's some people who can't believe it. And there's those who know what you're saying, but just don't believe it because they believe, well, Jesus taught differently. And so this is a question. What is salvation then? This is the letter that was wrote to me trying to straighten me out. Is it something that is received at the very beginning by just crossing the door by the grace of God and presto, we're saved forever, no matter how we live after that. See, this is the part that people can't believe. Once you trust Christ as Savior, they said, now, if you don't live right after that, that's a sign you really weren't saved. Because if you're saved, you're not going to want to do that bad stuff anymore. The only problem is that sounds good logically, but it's just not true. It just means you were born into God's family. You have a new birth. But God didn't take away your sinful nature. He didn't change your body. He didn't change the lust of the flesh that you had. That never was touched. He gave you a new birth. You now have a choice. You can live for the Lord or you can still live like the devil and still be a child of God and still go to heaven. But that's one of the ways you find out, are they really following me? So when somebody asks you that question, you know they're getting it. You mean to tell me? <laughs> and then here they go. And I said, well, if, if that was true, that would be grace, wouldn't it? And they don't like that. See, there is something inside of us that just can't believe that you're, you can just trust Christ as your Savior and not change the way you live. Now, to me, I did. I changed the way I lived and who I lived for and all that. But that wasn't to be saved because I was saved. And I also know that if I didn't serve the Lord, I'm still saved. Because I wasn't saved because I promised God something. I was saved because God promised me the free, free gift of eternal life. And if it's eternal life, how long should it last? Forever. And that's what I believe. He says, or is it a destination that is reached not just once the door is crossed, but after traveling all the way to the end in obedience to God? See, they believe that salvation by grace is just opening this door and going in. But now you've got that whole pathway that you've got to walk. And you've got to live a certain way. And if you don't, well, then he's going to kick you back out this door. And then he's probably going to slam it shut. Now, you don't have a choice then. So you see, that's not the way it is. Bible says, once you trust Christ as Savior, you're in. You're in. 
It can't be changed. You can't go back because he made a promise. I give you eternal life. I'll never cast you out. He'll never lose me. So I have eternal life from now on, and I can know that now. So the person understands what we're saying. They just don't believe it. He says, if it was simply the first going through the door, Paul was right and Jesus was totally wrong. Work can't help us at all. But if it is the second going through the door and walking all the way to the end in obedience to God in order to reach, the final destination of the kingdom of heaven. Then Jesus Christ is the one who was right. So he's trying to split. Yes, Paul taught you're saved by grace without any work, but Jesus, he didn't teach that. Jesus taught you had to earn your way to heaven. It's faith plus your works. And so um, then he uses a scripture that um, we want to look at. This is what he says. And if our works are necessary to be saved and enter into the kingdom of heaven, then it was Paul who was wrong. As James confirms when he said that faith alone don't save nobody. I think he made a double negative there. But uh, anyway, he says, what doth it profit my brother though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? For if the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. And he gives us James chapter 2. So let's take a quick look at the book of James. You need to know, do not be afraid of the scriptures. That seems to say, if you can't say, I don't know about that, but I know Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, boom, boom, boom. And they show you another verse that seems to say, you know, I don't know about that, but I know John 3, 16 says, boom, 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 boom. You keep... Just swinging your sword. Swinging the verses that you do know and understand. Because you may not know all these ways and how to deal with all these people, with all these questions immediately. You have to learn. But now notice in the book of James, it makes a statement in chapter 2. Does it say that, uh, and ask the question, can faith save him? Well, look at that verse 14. What doth it profit, my brother, though a man say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? See that? So there it is, right there, black and white. The only problem is they never find out, save you from what? Now, if you're talking about going to heaven, faith without works is the only way. Otherwise, the Bible does contradict itself, but the Bible doesn't contradict itself. But if we're talking about another issue, then... That's different. You see, when he says, what doth it profit, my brother? And profit is something that you gain because of something that you do. In other words, God says, if you do this work, I'm going to give you this. <clears throat> so what is the profit? This is to the Christian. What does it profit, my brethren? means he's already talking to the believer, not talking to the lost man, talking to the believer. He says, and have not works, can faith save him? The answer is No. The answer to this question, in the context, the answer is no. Save him from what? Well, look at it right before this, because this is the context and where you find this mentioned. See there in verse 12, So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. 
You and I, as a child of God, are going to be judged by the law of liberty, the Word of God, on what we say and what we do when we get to heaven, and this is for rewards. Remember, salvation is always a gift to get to heaven. What you have when you get to heaven, the profit you have from living your life, is going to be rewards for your service, for your works. So, this faith alone cannot deliver or save you from this judgment seat of Christ that you and I are going to have to stand before. Because he makes the statement, for he shall be judged, judgment without mercy, that have shown no mercy, and mercy rejoices against judgment. There is going to be, at the judgment seat of Christ, a rewarding stand. And also, God will chasten his children. This is mentioned in chapter 4 of the book of James, where God chastens because of disobedience, because of rebellion. So the whole book of James is not written on how to go to heaven. It's to the believer on how to live his Christian life. Now, look what else he says here. You'll notice down in verse 22, Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or mature. This is maturing in the Lord. It's once you're born into God's family, you're a child. But you want to mature and grow strong in the Lord. Well, what happens is, once you've trusted Christ as Savior, God wants you to mature. And look what he says there in James chapter 1. James chapter 1. In verse 2 says, My brethren, talking to the believers, counted all misery. <laughs> counted all what? Joy. When you fall into diverse temptations, different testings, because different testings show where you are weak. And that reveals to you what you need to work on. There's nothing wrong with that. He says in this verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, you already have faith. God wants you to grow in your faith. And he says that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect or complete and entire, desiring or wanting nothing, lacking nothing in your Christian life. So God has designed life with all kinds of pressures, testings, in order for you to grow strong in the Lord. Now, in this context, we're talking about what did the prophet, my brethren, if you say to somebody, be you warmed and filled, but you didn't give him anything to, to eat. You didn't give anything to put on. You really didn't do anything. You just said words. Now, God is going to judge us when we get to heaven, not because of all the Bible that you knew. I can quote a thousand verses. It doesn't matter. God's not going to reward you when you get to heaven how many verses you memorize. We have kids memorizing verses in camps. But you're not rewarded in heaven because of how many verses you memorize. It's, did you obey those verses? Did you obey them? And that's what James chapter 2 is talking about. It's not talking about how to get to heaven. So if you understand it in its context, you don't have to worry about them. Look at the next statement. This thing that uh, he had mentioned here. He made the statement that inheriting eternal life results not only from believing in him, but also from fulfilling the law of love given by God. Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So you see there, you've got to keep the law because this man wanted to know and Jesus told him to keep the law. Therefore, 
You are saved by your works. So take your Bible and look there in the book of Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. You need to find a way to explain a verse. You may not remember everything, but you ought to make a couple notes in your Bible so that um, you can maybe recall or help you and somebody throws this verse in your face. See there in 19, verse 16, chapter 19, verse 16. And don't worry about marking in your Bible. That's not adding to the Word of God. It's just helping you to explain what it means because you don't have an infallible memory. Verse 16, And behold, one came and said unto him, Good master, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? He went to the right person, asked the right question. Do you think he got a good answer? He got a good answer even. All Jesus says was, be perfect. That's what he meant whenever he says about the law. Look what it says in verse 17. He said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one. That is God. What good thing must I do in order to have eternal life? He says, why callest thou me good? There's none good but God. So if I got to tell a person, you're going to have to be as good as God. Because if that's the good thing you've got to do, you've got to be as good as God. And if you call me good, are you saying I'm God? He says this. But if thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. All right? That's all you've got to do. Keep the Ten Commandments. Keep the moral law. How you doing? Has anybody done it? Nobody in 15 years, 15 years, 1,500 years up to this point had trusted, had kept the law. So no man has ever kept the law. That's why they had to do all the sacrifices. That's the purpose of the temple and the sacrifice. That's why they had the tribe of Levi to do all the priestly work. Why? Because they didn't keep the law. They didn't keep it. And now somebody's going to keep the law? They don't even know what the law is. Name the Ten Commandments. Most people can't name the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not play marbles. John 3 says, marble not, that I said unto thee. See, some people just never figure these things out. So he says in verse 18, he saith unto him, which? He says, keep the law, keep the commandments. He said, well, which ones? Jesus said, thou shalt do no murder, check. Thou shalt not commit adultery, check. Thou shalt not steal, check. Thou shalt not bear false witness, check. Honor thy father and thy mother, check. And thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself, check. Boy, I've done everything, check off. Now what? The young man said unto him, All these things have I kept from my youth up. What lack I yet? So he thinks, I'm, I'm still lacking something. Jesus said to him, If thou wilt be, what's the next word? You want to be perfect. Go and sell, because in other words, this is one of the commandments. You kept all those other ones, but you didn't keep this one. He says, go and sell all that thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Boy, everything's all tied up in there. You're perfect. But see, this was the one thou shalt not covet. You see, he didn't mention those other ones. He left this one out. He mentioned all the rest, but this one. You think Jesus knew what he was doing? He's using the law to convince a person they're not as righteous as they think they are. But if you want to go to heaven, just keep the law. All you got to do is be perfect. 
How you doing? All right, so that's why you need a Savior. He used the law to show a person that you cannot save yourself by keeping the law. Because the only way you could do it, you'd have to keep it perfectly. But, look in verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, and look at the next statement, Who then can be saved? In other words, they realized that what Jesus had just told him was impossible. So in verse 26, Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is what? Impossible. But with God all things are possible. So the man that's using these scriptures to prove that you can be saved by your works proves just the opposite. Do you see that? Can you see that? I can see that. But some people cannot see that. In other words, don't let go of your own ammunition because you think that they've got better ammunition and you don't know how to answer that. Always hang with Ephesians 2, 8, 9 and 1 John 5, 13 and he'll never cast you out and never lose you and so forth. Stay simple in your mind. There's nothing else in this book that will contradict that. You don't have to worry. I don't care who you talk to, wherever they may be, how many degrees they've got after their name, it cannot and will not contradict Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that you're saved by grace, not by works of any kind at any time. No man's works ever saves a man or keeps him saved. So now that you know that, we'll move right along. The next statement I want you to see there is number two. That's on my notes. That final salvation is the result not only of believing in him, but also of persevering to the end, loving God and our neighbor without allowing our love to cool down. How much can it cool down before you've lost too much love? I mean, love's got to be hot. Well, how cold can it get? You can't get cold love. You can get them in all kinds of traps. He says this, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now look in Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. They had asked the Lord a question. Um, when is uh, all these things going to take place? Because he was talking to him about, look at this beautiful temple here. He says, this thing's going to be destroyed. Not one stone left upon top of another. So in verse 3, they came to him and they asked the Lord a question. This was before he was crucified. He said, and as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, I've been there, the disciples came unto him privately saying, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So now he goes through and he answers their question. When's the end going to come? So this is talking about a special group of people doing a special time. And this is doing the tribulation period. See there in verse 14, uh, 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place. That's during the seven year tribulation period upon the earth. All right. When he said this, 
That verse 15 is 2,000 years in the future. That's coming up pretty soon, I believe, in our day. So when he's talking about, and then shall the end come, talking about when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period. So he says all these things are going to go on, going to happen. And look what he says there in verse 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Well, that didn't happen to his disciples that he had there. This is talking about the Jewish people in the last days when the time comes and Israel is going to be hated by all nations. So Israel has to be back in the land. Now they're back in the land. And all the nations, even through the United Nations, hate Israel. It can't be referring to the time in which the disciples lived at that time. He's talking about down the road, the signs of the times that he's talking about. And many, he says in verse 10, be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now this is the way our world is going right now. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. So he's talking about during a period of time that's in the future. So when this was written, it did not apply to those disciples that were living right then. It's the knowledge that's written down here so we can study it and read it. But he's talking about those who will be at the end of the tribulation period when Christ returns in power and great glory and the sign of thy coming. You see what he says here in uh, verse uh, 27? For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. This is how you'll see it. This is what it'll be. But this hasn't happened yet. And all those disciples, well, that he told them to, they're all dead. And none of this took place. But he is coming, and there's going to be an end. But now look what he says in verse 21. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. So we're talking about people living at this period of time. And these people that will be alive at the end of the tribulation period is because Christ comes back and there's the battle of Armageddon. And there's a Jewish group remnant that I believe will be hit in Petra. And they are going to be delivered. And they will be saved twice. Physically and then spiritually. Because they will trust the Lord as their Messiah. So this is not on you and I having to endure to the end. This is those who are alive at the end of this period of time. Yes, they are going to be Saved physically, but saved spiritually, and they will go into the kingdom. But look how much you have to know and understand to answer a verse that seems to say. It's not like Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's one verse. But you use that one verse. This whole story cannot contradict John three sixteen. God tells us how we're to be saved. Now, chapter 25, there is another issue that many bring up because it's uh, very difficult. And uh, this is one of the statements that he makes. That the final entrance to the kingdom of heaven results not only from confessing Jesus is Lord, 
but also from doing the will of the Father. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So that's in Matthew in chapter 7, and uh, we'll look at that in just a moment. But he makes a statement about Matthew 25, and let me just read that to you. He said that inheriting the kingdom of heaven results not only from believing in him, but also from serving and helping others in their need. And lo and behold, this is what he quotes. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, ye took me in. Naked, ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when? And the king shall answer and say, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me, and the righteous shall go into life eternal. Now, does the Bible say that? It says exactly that. It's a quote right out of Matthew chapter 25. But how can you explain that when it seems like it's based upon what you do? Well, look what he says. Matthew chapter 25, look at verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31 when Christ comes back at the end of the tribulation period, in power, great glory, every eye will see him. Israel will believe on him. Verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels. Now, this is not the rapture. This is seven years after the rapture. And all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. This is when he comes to, as a king, and he's going to rule. Before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Sheep are the saved, goats are the lost. Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him and say, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Uh, when saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? Then the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Now, how would you explain this? Understand, God has called all of us that know Christ as Savior. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not only to preach the gospel to those who are nice and well and healthy and so forth. Uh, not just those that we see on the street and so on. But he also talks about those that were in prison. He talks about those that were sick. Maybe in the hospitals. Those in nursing homes. Those in the highways and the byways. The poor, the downtrodden, all these individuals that he talks about. But he also makes a statement. When you received them, you received me. In the book of Matthew, I want you to hold your place right here and look in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew and chapter 10. You'll notice that Jesus had sent disciples out. They went, they preached, and he says in verse 11 of chapter 10, Into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter. In other words, it doesn't matter so much what town or 
what city or what person you talk to. The command's the same. You can reach anybody. When you go out on Friday night soul winning, if you stand around waiting for a halo to come over somebody's head, so, okay, I got it. the Lord wants me to witness to that one. No, you just witness anybody. Anybody you can get a chance to. It doesn't matter. Because I don't know if you can witness to the wrong person. If you witness to the wrong person, I think God will probably forgive you. But look what he says in verse 11. He says, inquire who is, is that's worthy and there abide till you go. And then he says in verse 13, and if the house be worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it's not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart from out of that house, and shake the dust off your feet. Worthy, worthy, worthy. What do you mean by worthy? Well, if they believed the message you preached, when they receive you by receiving the message, that's the same thing he's talking about in the book of Matthew in chapter 25. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. Where they went. If they knock at a door and they are received and they're fed. There's others that need a place to stay for the night. Whatever they did. Some, if you visit the prison, wherever you went. He says, because when they receive you, they received me. So when a person, and here we are, in regards of where we might go, whatsoever city, whatever town, whatever the location may be, however people may be, we try to reach people in every way we possibly can, whoever they may be, because we may be the one that's sick and we go. And we're the one that's poor, yet we go. And maybe sometime God may put you in a prison. There was people that God not allowed to be in a prison, but they can wait. But when you go in his place and you go for him and you're serving the Lord, regardless of what happens to you in this life, regardless of how the world treats you, you still have a responsibility to serve the Lord and to be found faithful. Uh, look there at what he says in Matthew chapter 10 and verse uh, 40. Look at verse 40. He that receiveth you does what? Receiveth me. And he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. So you and I are sent, and there'll be people that will receive the message. And they'll be blessed because of it. But many of us may pay a great price in getting the gospel to individuals. You see, we are the believers, and we have gone in his name representing the Lord. And there's people who have received the message. They have believed us and received us, and therefore they are receiving what Christ says. So this is why all this is important. Now go back to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. So he says in verse 40, The king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say to you, Insomuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my... See the word brethren? That's the person that's saved. And you have done it unto me. Means you received the brethren that I sent to you. And so these people, not only that were reached, they reached others, and therefore, they get to go into the kingdom upon the earth, all believers. 
And then he says in verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from you, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. Yeah, I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you took me not in. Naked, and so clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and thirst, and stranger, and naked, and sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Because they did not receive them. They did not receive them by not receiving Christ. They did not believe the message. They're lost not because of works, but they're the people who came to witness, and you did not receive them. You can't take the scripture out of context. This book of Matthew is written in a sense that it is the king and his kingdom. And that's why he says, unless your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is talking about the king going to set up his kingdom upon the earth. Here, once again, he's talking about his kingdom upon the earth. And so the book of Matthew is written as a king, and he is building a kingdom. He gives us his constitution. He tells us about his cabinet that he's choosing and who's going to rule the 12 tribes and all that. You'll find that in the book of Matthew. There's a lot more, but we'll finish up on this somewhere else down the road. We may do it again Wednesday night. Who knows? I was going to use this potato, but I don't think I will. I might want to eat that potato at one time down the road. Look up here. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. Remember, there are no complicated verses in Scripture. If you use the right Scripture to understand them. It's just that sometimes people think, well, that caused me questions. I got a problem with this. Well, I don't, I don't have a problem because if I don't understand it because I can't explain it, that doesn't undo Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, does it? That doesn't change John 3, 16, does it? If that's still what it says, that's still what it says. I don't understand this, but I know what it says here. And sooner or later, you'll find out that uh, you can go back and dissect it a little bit and get a little more knowledge on it and so on. This hand represents you and me, and the wallet represents sin. We all have sin on us. God loves us, but he hates our sin. And to pay for sin is eternal separation from God. Now, what must I do to go to heaven? Jesus simply told him, don't do anything wrong. Just keep the law. Well, the problem was, he did. He went away sorrowful. He did covet money. And so, can he be saved? Yes. But by man, it's impossible. But with God, it is possible. Salvation is only possible through Christ. And so, God says, you cannot earn eternal life. You can't work your way to heaven. This end represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world because he loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from him. So, Jesus Christ, who had no sin took ours, and he died in our place, paid for our sins, and came back from the dead. See, he uses the law to show you you cannot earn eternal life, that it is a gift. Do you think God's going to take it very seriously? That whenever the great white throne judgment takes place, and he rejected the message from the messenger God sent? We're messengers with a message. And so by them accepting the message, they're accepting the one who sent the message that brought the message to them that Jesus says, they also receive him that sent me.
Christ comes back from the dead. Sins have been paid. And all he wanted us to do is believe he did it for us and he'd put this payment to our account and we get to go to heaven on what Christ did for us. You cannot earn eternal life. It's a gift. It's totally free. And if you trust Christ as your Savior last week, do you have to do it again this week? If you trusted Christ as your Savior yesterday, do you have to get saved again today? How many times can you get saved? One time. Because, you see, you can never get lost. After you're saved, you can't never get lost. Because he said, I'll never lose you. Isn't that good news? He said, I'll never cast you out. So, yes, we can know we have eternal life, know that we're going to heaven. And if you've ever trusted Christ as Savior, you never have to do it again. He can't give you eternal life two days in a row or three times. He can only give it to you once because he'll never take it away from you. That's how you can know you're going to heaven. Let's pray, shall we? With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, why not trust the Lord right now? And if you're watching by internet, the only thing you can do to go to heaven is to trust the Lord. There is no other way. There is no other option. You have never met anybody that deserves to go to heaven. No one's ever lived good enough, gave enough, promised enough. No one has ever lived holy enough to go to heaven. That's why Christ died, to pay for our sins. And if you're a sinner, you qualify. And the only thing you have to do is believe that when Christ died, he died for you. And if you'll trust him as your Savior, he'll give you everlasting life as a free gift. I pray that you'll do just that. A man had to be a fool to turn down a free gift. I saw that long time ago. Best news I ever heard. But if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you just trust him right now? I'm not going to ask you forward or anything like that. But right where you're sitting, if you've already trusted the Lord, you don't have to do it again. But if you've never done it, and what I've said made sense, you say, preacher, that made sense to me. And I want to be certain that I'm going to heaven and I'll trust Christ as my Savior. And I'd like for you to pray for me in closing. Anyone at all before we close? Anyone at all? Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for all you do for us. We pray for all the things that needs to be done this week and for the funeral services on uh, Friday night and also for John John and his mother. We just pray, Lord, that uh, you would comfort her and let her pass and be without uh, difficulty. We thank you for John John and also for Trent. And it would uh, be a great loss for both of them. We know that. So we just commit these things to you and ask your blessings upon us. In Christ's name, amen.